0: Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Manash. On today's show, we're talking about the everything bubble. Bubbles have formed throughout history, and all it takes is a pinprick to burst a bubble. Now, this is a show about real estate. We live in an interconnected world. It's very difficult for one sector of the economy to flourish or struggle in isolation. And on today's show, we're talking about all kinds of bubbles and how they form. The year was 1554, and tulip bulbs were sent from the Ottoman Empire to Vienna. By 1593, a botanist in the Netherlands figured out how to create a varietal that would be hardy in colder climates. The tulip mania was on. By 1636, it was a derivatives market trading in tulip bulb futures. Tulip mania reached the peak during the winter of 1636 and 1637, when some bulbs were reportedly changing hands ten times in a day. No deliveries were ever made to fulfill any of these contracts, of course, because in February of 1637, tulip bulb contract prices collapsed abruptly, and the trade in tulips ground to a halt. It sounds silly in retrospect, but at the time, those in the tulip trade took it very seriously. Back in 1997, 98, and 99, we had the dot-com bubble. Any business that had an internet component was worth gazillions. Some of those businesses had no revenue, only a promise to bring internet technology to some aspect of commerce. Buying pet food online made no sense. We can see that in hindsight, but at the time, investors flocked to buy up those shares. Even legitimate businesses with real revenue that were associated with the growth of the internet got caught up in the hysteria. My company, Tundra Semiconductor, went public during that era. We had a private box in the NHL hockey arena where the Ottawa Senators played. Everything we touched seemed to turn to gold. In that case, it wasn't really a tech bubble. The technology didn't contribute anything bad to the economy, It was increasing the connectivity in the world and giving people instant access to information, products, and services that in the past required physical movement. The bubble was created by an inflated sense of value of these businesses. The values had no connection with the business fundamentals. My own startup company, Tundra Semiconductor, broke a billion-dollar valuation. We were doing well. We had solid profits and revenues. The company was well-run, but we weren't worth a billion dollars, even though the market said we were for a short period of time. 2004 to 2006, we had the housing bubble. In that scenario, it wasn't really a housing bubble either, but a debt bubble. Irresponsible lending practices in the subprime market caused stated income loans to be written against real estate using valuations that had been bid up beyond any level of affordability. The increase in asset prices was fueled by the lending practices. If you couldn't get an appraisal at that higher value, then the bank shouldn't have been lending you the money. Over the past two years, we've had numerous bubbles forming. We've had businesses that have not generated a penny of positive cash flow, like Tesla, Netflix, Uber, Lyft, and WeWork, getting valuations in the tens of billions. Companies that haven't demonstrated their ability to have a profitable business were worth gazillions. We have another bubble in the shale oil business. Shale oil wells have a very steep decline curve in production volume after they start producing. After 12 months in production, they're typically producing about 15% of the oil that was gushing on the very first day of production. That well might continue to produce for another 20 or 25 years, but at pretty low volumes. And the problem is that the break even on the debt for that well is a function of the price of oil. At prices below $45 a barrel, those wells will never break even any time in their lifetime. The only way these oil companies stay afloat is to drill more wells at increasingly higher levels of debt. Now, the good news is that interest rates have fallen, which has extended the ability for these companies to drill more aggressively. We've had oil prices fall nearly 40% in the past week. These companies will not be able to service that debt on those bonds for long if the price war between Russia and Saudi Arabia continues. We've had junk bonds trading at incredibly low yields for shale, and that's now changed we're having yields climbing above 10%, and when the yield for the 10-year treasury bill has been falling to well below 1%. Well, here we are in March of 2020. Central banks all over the world have been pumping liquidity into the system during supposed boom times. These are the actions to be taken during a crisis, but they were being taken during the good times. We've known for a while there would be a breaking point eventually. I personally thought the trigger would be a sovereign debt crisis. Turns out I was wrong. Turns out the trigger was the outbreak of a virus. The impact of the additional liquidity was for cash to make its way into the debt markets, which in turn was used by companies all over the world to buy back stock through additional leverage and in turn increase asset prices in the stock market. Even now, after the pin has burst the balloon, the central banks think they can reinflate the balloon by pumping more cash into it. This bubble was not a single asset bubble like before. This one was much more broadly based. It was the everything bubble. So you think about that. Have an awesome rest of your day. Go make some great things happen. We'll talk to you again tomorrow.